Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for today's service. I hope you're having an incredible summer and you're surviving some of these uh, incredible heat domes that we've been receiving. My name is Rick, just in case you don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here at CLCC, and it's my privilege and honor to share the message with you today. Pastor Jim and Maureen are enjoying some holidays over on Vancouver Island, so I get to share God's word with you. What's an incredible privilege. We're continuing our series, Learning to Listen Like Jesus. We're examining several conversations Jesus had with people, and we're seeking to extract lessons. What are the life lessons in these conversations that we can take and apply to our lives? So today we're looking at a conversation Jesus had with Mary, regarding a problem that came up at a wedding that they were both attending. I kind of think it's fitting that as we continue this series, and the series is titled Learning to Listen, we're looking at a wedding story. Now, for those of you who are married, how many of you would say that your marriage has been one of the best environments, I guess, for you to learn listening skills? I think that if, if you go into a marriage and you're not a good listener, you will soon find that out. And healthy marriages, both, both husband and wife, will learn and grow and develop the listening skills. I think that's essential for a healthy and a growing marriage. But you know, in our story today, the wedding supper at Cana, the wedding feast, we don't even know who the couple is. They're not mentioned at all. There's no mention of the bride or the groom by name. Um, they're unidentified. There's no record that they even said a single word. And I think the reason that John doesn't record that this couple is named or said anything is because they're not the most important people in the story. The most important one in the story is not the bride. It's not the bridegroom. It's not the mother of the bride. It's not the pastor who officiated at the wedding. But it's the wedding guest. It's Jesus himself. It's because of what he does and what he brings to this wedding. And it changes everything for the group of disciples who are watching. So let's read the text. It's found in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, we'll be reading. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. And though the servants who had drawn the water knew, And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story that we have and for John recording this story for us. 
And as we take a look at this conversation Jesus had with Mary, as we look at this incredible miracle of the water turning to wine, we know that there's principles that are in here for us today. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word. Lord, we want to be hearers. We want to discern what your spirit is saying, but also help us to apply and to live out these principles in our lives. In your name I pray, amen. So before we take a look at some of the life lessons that we can glean from this story, we need to understand it in its context. So I want to take a couple of minutes and flesh out some of the elements, some of the various details of the story. First of all, consider the context of the story. It's a Jewish wedding. Now, Eastern weddings are far different from what we in the West are used to. In Western weddings, who is the star of the show? It's the bride. The groom just shows up and tries not to get in the way. When the bride enters, she's dressed in bridal white. The whole congregation stands. The music plays. I read of a young woman who was getting married, and she said to her mother, Mom, this day is so important to me. I don't want to overlook one insignificant detail. And her mother said, Don't worry, sweetheart. I'll make sure the groom is there. Well, the groom is hardly an insignificant detail. And actually, in Eastern weddings, The groom is the featured one. Here's also something that might send a shudder down the spine of the parents of boys. Not only is the groom the featured one, but the groom also pays for the entire fare. Another key difference is that instead of the couple leaving immediately after the wedding for a honeymoon, they had open house for a week. See, our weddings... They last usually a day, right? You, you, early afternoon, you come, you've got the ceremony at the church. After that, often the wedding party and the family will go off. They're going to have some pictures that are taken. Then they all meet at the reception hall for the dinner and the dance and whatever follows after that. And then the couple are off on their honeymoon. Six, eight hours, it's, it's a, a done deal. But not with the Jewish weddings. It would go on for at least a week in the with festivities, great festivities would be taking place. They were the social event of the year. If you're a poor person, it was the one party in life you'd have. And it was so important socially to have the right kind of a wedding, and it was important to have wine at a wedding. The groom, again, he paid for it all, and he supplied the wine. So to have no wine was a social embarrassment, because in Jewish thinking, wine was a symbol of joy. So for a groom to run out of wine at his wedding, this is what it meant. It was to admit, I can provide no joy for my wife or her family or my friends. In fact, if you ran out of wine at a wedding, you could actually be sued for it because you failed to meet your social responsibility. You see, this was a major crisis. It wasn't just a matter of, well, let's run down to everything wine and get some more wine. It was a major crisis. Mary comes to Jesus and says, They have no more wine. It's commentaries. They speculate on on why is Mary saying this to Jesus? And the two most common responses are things that we find in commentaries are, first of all, that she just wanted to help out her friends. They were friends. It was a social embarrassment. It was a major crisis. Jesus, help out. Or some of the commentaries will say she, she may have wanted to vindicate her reputation. She wanted people to see finally, okay, Jesus is here. Jesus can help because Jesus is the son of God. And people are still saying that I had a baby out of wedlock. They don't believe me. 
she wanted to vindicate her reputation. But you know, we don't know the answer. We don't know specifically what her motive was. All we know is that she brought the problem to Jesus and then she left the problem in his hands, which is really key, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. Jesus responds to Mary in verse 4. Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Jesus' response may appear a bit harsh. And kids, I, I wouldn't use this response at home with your mother. Don't say, hey, I can respond like this because Jesus responded like this. Mother comes and says, little Charlie, will you please take out the trash? Don't say, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. Or if your mother comes and says, little Susie, can you please clean up your bedroom and make your bed? Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Don't do that. If you try that, I, I'm quite sure your hour will come much sooner than you anticipated. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. This is not harsh. It's not inconsiderate. It's not disrespectful. It's polite to say woman. Jesus said the same thing to Mary when he hangs on the cross and he says, woman, behold your son and gives her to John's care. In fact, it's a typical, polite way to address a woman. Six times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus calls different women by the name woman. It's like saying Mrs. or lady or ma'am. Now, that's, it's polite, but it's not very intimate, is it? It's not like Abba Father. It's not Daddy. It's not Mommy. It's ma'am, lady. It's more formal. But what it does is it indicates a change in the relationship that he would address his mother like any other woman calling her ma'am or missus, it indicates a change. Something's changed in their relationship, and here's the change. Jesus is beginning his public ministry, and now earthly relationships will not determine his course of action. Earthly relationships are not his priority, but there's a different relationship that determines his path. And it's as if Jesus is saying, I'm not just your son, I'm to be your savior. I'm on a different agenda. Jesus predicted that this day was come. Remember when he was 12 years old in the temple? Mary and Joseph are partway back to Nazareth, and they go, where's Jesus? And they had to go back and find him because he had stayed at the temple. And Jesus says, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? What father was he speaking about? God the Father. See, there's a whole other relationship that I'm tracking with. This is what Jesus is saying, with even more that's even more than this relationship of son and mother, and that is with my heavenly father. Jesus goes on, he says, what does this have to do with me? Again, this might seem like a rebuke, but it was a common conversational phrase. When it was spoken angrily and sharply, it did indicate complete disagreement and reproach. But when it was spoken gently, it indicated so, not so much reproach, but misunderstanding. William Barclay, in his uh, commentary, says, we have the words, but we don't have the tone. If Jesus spoke it gently, it means, don't worry. You don't quite understand, Mary, what's going on. Leave things to me, and I will settle them in my own way. I think Jesus was simply telling Mary to leave it in his hands, that he would have his own way of dealing with the situation. Finally, Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, in verse 4. And what does he mean by that? What he means by my hour is the time of my suffering, my death, my resurrection. See, Jesus didn't want to plunge into 
popularity and fame too quickly. Um, that's why he tells people on certain occasions not to tell everybody about their miracle or that he's the Messiah. His hour had not yet come. And he's going to do miracles and crowds, masses of people are going to follow him. He's going to become incredibly popular. But as he becomes popular, the Pharisees' agenda increases as well and they want to get him to the cross. But Jesus has work to do. He still has to recruit his team of disciples. Well, there's only five disciples at this wedding. So there's still more disciples to gather and to train and equip for the kingdom. So Jesus' eyes were clearly on his chief purpose, but he isn't in a hurry. There's no rush. So what most people think about when they think about the story is the miracle that Jesus performed. He turned water into wine. In verse 6, John is telling us about what happened. He says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Wow, that's a lot of wine. 20 to 30 gallons apiece. It's between 120 to 180 gallons. William Barclay says, no wedding party on earth can drink 180 gallons of wine. But this isn't just Jesus meeting a need. He's lavishly going way over the top, more than you'll ever need, which all I can say is what an incredible gift. What an absolutely incredible gift for this couple. The wine was so good, and even the master of the ceremony says, this is good wine. The couple could have sold the wine. They could have used the money to, for their marriage and to get started in their new life together. It was an incredible gift. The miracle was not only a credible gift for the bride and groom, but it's also a metaphor for Jesus' role of Savior. The six water jars were used for ritual perfect pur purification. Six is the number of man and imperfection. Jesus transformed water meant for ritual cleansing into wine. So in a symbolic way, this miracle mirrors how Jesus' sacrifice transformed the rituals of the law into the gospel of grace. And I love verse 7. Fill the jars with water, Jesus said. And so they filled them to the brim. Why do you think John included that little phrase there in verse 7? They filled them to the brim. I think John wants you to know that absolutely nothing was added. This wasn't some sort of a fake miracle. It wasn't filled up all the way or halfway, and then, and then somebody came along and they had some wine left and they, they dumped a gallon of wine in each of the, the jars. No, this was a genuine miracle, and John wants you to know it. They were filled to the brim with water, and Jesus turned the water into wine. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. What were the results of, of this miracle? Well, according to verse 11, it revealed his glory. Jesus is beginning to reveal that he is the Son of God and that's what John wants his readers to understand, that Jesus is God. And it inspired the faith of the disciples. The disciples had already believed that in Jesus, at least to the extent that they understood him. The disciples had only recently begun to follow Jesus. It was only two days before the wedding in Cana that Philip and Nathaniel had been called to follow him. So what the miracle in Cana did for them was deepen their existing faith rather than bring them to faith. They had already believed in Jesus, but their faith grew and was strengthened. And when John tells the story of the wedding in Cana where Jesus performed this incredible miracle, he wants us to believe in Jesus and the Father who sent him. And if we 
if we already believe he wants our faith to be strengthened. So what are the life lessons that we can take away from this story? I think that there's several, but there's three that I, I, I really want to focus on and just mention um, to you this morning. First of all, listen with discernment and trust God's plan. See, our series is about learning to listen like Jesus. And so we, ask, we have to ask ourselves the question, well, how did Jesus listen in this conversation he had with Mary? I think he listened with discernment. You see, Jesus was living in obedience to God's plans for his life. He was not on Mary's agenda. His disciples do not dictate his actions. He wasn't following his own plan. His life, his destiny was controlled by the Father. And likewise for us, God has an agenda. And we need to seek and prioritize God's plan, God's will for our lives, even over our own. He has a plan for your life as an individual. You know, you know, there can be many voices that can come into our life, but we need to be able to discern God's plan. We need to be able to discern God's voice and understand what his plan is. We need to listen with discernment. There's three steps to listening with discernment. Awareness, understanding, and action. And Jesus modeled all of these steps. So he was aware. He was aware of the concern that Mary had. But he was also aware of who he was and what the father wanted him to do. He understood the situation at the wedding and what it meant for them to run out of wine. But he also understood the priority of God's will in his life. So with one ear, he's hearing Mary. He's hearing everything he, that's going on. But with the other ear, he's hearing God the Father and God the Father's plan for his life. And then he stepped out in action and he responded the way God the Father would have instructed him to respond. So we need to listen with discernment. Another lesson from Jesus is we need to trust his provision. This text reminds us that Jesus Christ provides for our needs. He meets every single need. Well, wine may seem like a trivial need on some levels. It was really important to the couple and to Mary. And here we find that Jesus met the needs of the situation. Jesus has my interests in, in mind. His grace is abundant. He wants to meet my needs. And I have to learn to trust him and to know that he will provide everything I need. Let me read you a few verses from Matthew 6. Jesus is talking about worry. He says, so I tell you, don't worry about everyday life whether you have enough food, drink, and clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in the barns because your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. And why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work to make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith. So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs, and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. God will meet every single need. He will look after you. If you put him first in life, 
His promise is to look after you. And as we see at the wedding at Cana, turning the water into wine, he doesn't just meet the needs. He goes over and above. What an incredible gift. One more life lesson. This one's from Mary. What do we learn from Mary? I think we learn that it's good to come. Jesus wants us to come. Ask anything. But we need to yield everything. Mary said to the servants in verse 5, do whatever he says. So she's willing to ask. She will bring the request to him. She doesn't know how he's going to respond. And she yields the response. She, she, she yields everything. Ask anything, yield everything. I yield to Jesus because he knows what is best and right. Recognize that what Jesus knows is best and right for us. Mary did this when she found out she was pregnant. Remember when the angel came and told her she was with child? They had a conversation, but she ended that by saying, may it be unto me as you've said. She yielded. She said, I don't understand this. How can this possibly be? However, may it be unto me as you've said. God, have your way. Jesus did this in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. If there's any way we can go a different route, that, that would be, I would like that. Nevertheless, your will be done. Ask anything, but yield everything. What would it mean for us today if we were willing to ask anything but yield everything? The Apostle Paul says to us in Philippians 4, 6, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. God wants us to ask. He wants us to bring our requests, our petitions to him. But as you do, yield everything. Acknowledge that it's God's will, not yours. It's God's timing, not yours. So listen with discernment. Trust in his plan. Trust in his, provi his provisions. And pray for anything but yield everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this incredible story. Help us to live out these truths in our life. Help us to hear the voice of your spirit in our lives. As we talk with other people, may we hear what they're saying, but may we also hear what your spirit is saying to us. May we have that ability to listen and be discerning and to understand your, your voice as it speaks to us and help us to respond in obedience. Thank you. You are Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides. Thank you for your provisions, your incredible provisions in life. We don't need to worry. What an incredible truth. We put you first in our life. We trust you. Your promises to look after us. I thank you for that. Help us to come to you. Bring our needs, our prayers, our, our, our desires, our wishes to bring it all to you but to yield everything to you as well. In your name I pray, amen. There's going to be uh, some music that's going to play for a couple of minutes. I want you to reflect on this question before I come back. Is there any area of my life that I haven't fully yielded to God? Perhaps God might be speaking to you today about an area in your life that you need to yield to him. What is that area and how will you respond? We'll be back in a moment. As I've been preparing this message this week and um, praying about it, there's a, a scripture, the scripture in Proverbs that has been 
kind of going through my head, and, and I just want to wrap up with this um, very well-known uh, verse from Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will direct your paths. I think that's what we've been talking about. As you go into this week, I want to encourage you to not lean, don't trust on your own understanding, but trust and lean and depend on God. Trust in him with all your heart. Seek him. And the promises is that he will direct you. He's not going to lead you down a wrong path. He will direct you. The doxology is from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thanks for joining us today. God bless you. Have a great week.